chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 1 down through verse 8. Very short psalm. We'll read the entire psalm. It begins by saying, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him, God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awake, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Lord bless you. may be seated. I promise not to hold you a long time tonight. I understand that if you live in Houston, getting to church on Wednesday night is difficult. And I commend all of you for being here because I know you had to sacrifice to do that. But God will bless you for doing that. I realize our time is busy and that our schedules are full and life is more demanding today than I think it's ever been at any point I can remember in life. All of our conveniences have not given us more time. We have less time today than we did 50 years ago. And as a result, we live stressed lives. And so I commend you for being here tonight and pray that God will, will, will really bless you tonight. I have been intrigued with the life of David for several years I guess the part that intrigues me the most is what the Bible says about David in the New Testament, and it says that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, I have to tell you, that gives me an incredible amount of comfort when I know his life the way I know it, and I understand his life the way the Bible talks about it, if David could mess up as many times and as bad as he did, and yet God would still see him as important. I promise you all of us have hope tonight. No matter what's going on in our lives, we have hope. Uh, I dare say that any of us have gotten to his the point that he was in life. I have read his story. I've heard it preached. I've reread his story, and as I... As I began to look at it closer, I noticed things that I want to talk about a little bit tonight because I think it's relevant to our world. I uh, was talking to a doctor a couple of months ago in Memphis, Tennessee, and he attends Brother Black's church, great young man, and we were discussing uh, some issues of life and I'd ask him some questions about some statements I was making to make sure I was medically correct in what I was saying. And 
we're having this discussion about the immunity system and how the body fights disease. And, and uh, then we got to talking about memories. And, and he said, I have a very close friend who's a psychiatrist, and he is leading research into memories and how the brain stores them. And they're beginning to discover that all those memories we say we have are really very fluid what that means is you can change it if you choose. And they're discovering that they're not intact. That as time, you change those memories to benefit you. And they're probably not the way they actually happened. So knowing that and, and going back to the Word of God and looking at at some of these issues and passages of scriptures carefully, I, I started noticing some things. David, at this point in his life that this psalm is written, is probably at least 50, maybe 60 years of age. Um, he has, he started reigning as king at 30. He reigned 40 years, so he was 70 years of age when he died. So in the latter part of his life, 50, 60, maybe even closer to 70 years of age, we have, we have a problem that arises. He has a son that has become so angry with his father that he is literally trying to destroy everything David stands for. And when we look at that story, it's easy for us to side with David. But if you read the story carefully, it's really as easy to side with Absalom as it is David. David failed miserably as a father. If you want to search the Bible for good fathers, he's at the bottom of the list. Matter of fact, when I read his last instructions to his son, he tells Solomon that if uh, Adonijah gets out of line at any way, execute him, and told him how to put him to death. His own son. He, he didn't connect to his family. It, it followed him every step of his life. He never overcome all these issues. He was given all kinds of opportunities to but yet he didn't. As you read his psalms, and if you pay close attention to them, a lot of them start off demanding of God certain things. I challenge you to go back and read them and see how many of them starts with, hear me. When he says, hear me, it's always imperative. It's not just some simple statement, hear me. He is screaming at God, Listen to me right now. Listen, I need you to hear me. Well, here's another one of those cases. And he is saying to God, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? God, do you not see what's happening here? I talk with people all the time who ask that question. How did God let this happen? Doesn't God know what's going on in my life? Did, did God 
Does God not love me enough to protect me from all these? How could God let this happen? How could it get to this point? That's a question that man has is still asking today because we often equate all of our problems as either being the result of what the devil does to us or what God does to us. Because it's either I'm walking in the will of God and everything in my life is the will of God or Satan invaded and now part of my problems is a result of Satan. We don't ever accept responsibility for anything we might do ourselves. I really wonder tonight how much of our life's problems we actually caused ourselves. See, I'm convinced you really don't need a devil at all to be bad in life. I'm convinced that you don't need a devil. You just need an opportunity. That's just part of our lives. We're, we're born with that. That's just part of our nature. That's who we are. And here's David complaining, God, do you understand how these people are troubling me? And, and it's not they're troubling me. It's increasing, God. Where are you at? Many are they which say of my soul, there is no help from him. And isn't that just the way we are as humans? I, I, one of the things I've noticed about us as humans, if anybody ever messes up and their lives kind of get out of balance a little bit, we're, we're so great to help. And the way we usually help is they got what they deserved or, you know, the, if you sow the crop, that's what you, you get a harvest. And that's our nature. It's difficult for you and I to empathize with people. The most difficult thing in life to do is, is, is to try to understand where somebody else is at and how they hurt in life. difficult why well because of where we live and what's happening in our world there are very 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 few people who don't have scars there are just very few lives that haven't encountered some kind of horrible tragic trauma of some type. that's our world and, and we have experienced so much chaos and, and so many tragedies that the moment someone starts talking about something, we, we just kind of get uncomfortable and, and we change the subject and we start trying to get other, uh, go other directions in conversation because it, it causes us to relive our own issues. It causes us to see our own problems and 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 it causes us to to think about problems we've encountered and hurts that we've had, and so we just avoid them. We we don't want to go down that road because life is is difficult. David was in that place. As I read the story and I hear what David has to say, there there's a parallel passage of scripture that you really need to read with it. Because it's written at the same time. And it's the 55th Psalm. And it goes hand in hand with this one. I don't know if they're written on the same day or separate days or, or a couple of weeks apart. But they actually happen at the same time in his life. 
And I'm reading from the New English translation, uh, the 55th Psalm. And it says, For, O God, to my prayer, do not ignore. Now, here again, he's basically started off as the previous one. Give ear unto my prayer. Hide not thyself from my supplication. Pay attention to me and answer me. I am so upset and distressed. I am beside myself. You ever seen any of those folks? That's what he's saying. Pay attention to me. I'm, I'm upset. I'm distressed. I'm beside myself because of what the enemies say and because of how the wicked pressure me for they hurt trouble and, and or for they hurl trouble down upon me and angrily attack me. One of the biggest problems in dealing with pressure and hurts in life is that we often assume we're the victim and had no part in the problem. That's just the first thing we do as, as humans. If, if something's going wrong in our life or my life and, and issues have happened and I have these problems I'm trying to deal with, it's, it's very common for me to try to put all the responsibility on somebody else. And I have to be honest with you tonight, one-sided injustices are rare. They happen occasionally. But one-sided injustices, they are incredibly rare. It takes two to tangle. It, I, I've never seen people stand in a corner punching themselves in the eye. If there's a war or a battle or a problem, the odds are incredibly high. I played some kind of role in whatever's happening here, but my nature won't allow me to, to assume any responsibility in Here's David. He's done the exact same thing. These, the, all these people are troubling me. And the people he's talking about are Absalom and Ahithophel. In both Psalms, the two men that are causing him problem is his son and his counselor or his best friend. These are the people. These are his enemies. These are those that, that he says are attacking me. And as I, I read that, I was reminded that every time Jesus deals with forgiveness in the New Testament, there's always a condition involved. Jesus never talked or taught about forgiving strangers. You're not going to find it anywhere. Every time Jesus dealt with forgiveness, it had to do with family. It said, brother. If thy brother trespassed against thee, forgive him. If, if, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember thy brother has the altar against it. Every time Jesus addressed that issue, it's, it's connected to a family. So here's David. He has issues that technically he caused. He's responsible for every one of these problems that are here. But yet he hadn't assumed responsibility for none of them. And not only has he not assumed responsibility for any of them, he literally is getting to the point that he thinks God is justifying his behavior. I want to point something out to you tonight. 
The will of God has never violated the Word of God. It will never violate the Word of God. So no matter what I think should be happening, if it doesn't line up to what the Word of God says, it is not the will of God. The will of God will never violate the Word of God. And if if my brother has ought against me, that means I'm the predator, I caused the problem, then Jesus said, don't come in my house, go fix the problem. I'm... I'm liable for my behavior. If I cause a problem, he says, take care of it. Fix it. David, he, he never, he never grasped that concept. He not only tells Solomon how to take care of Adonijah, he also tells Solomon how to take care of Joab, who's his nephew. And because Joab was what was considered to be a, a man of blood, he called him a bloody man because uh, of the number of men he had killed. When he died, he gave Solomon instructions. He needs to be executed as well. Put him to death. How did all those things happen? How did David get to a point in life where he sees everybody else as the problem and not himself? How'd that happen? Well, all you got to do is look at our world today. Look at us. Look at America. Is America accepting any responsibility for any problems they have? Never. It's never my fault. It's always somebody else's. There was reasons or conditions that produced the problem. And if these problems or conditions hadn't happened, then I would have never did what I did or this behavior wouldn't have taken place. And so it's never my fault. It's always somebody else's. I can tell you, the most difficult thing I have to do is to get people to accept responsibility for behavior. And it's almost impossible. Matter of fact, I'm not batting a very high average on that one. It's really, really low. It's probably less than 10%. It's just difficult for us to imagine that maybe something I might have said or done could have caused part of this problem. See, David doesn't even consider that his son is angry because David did nothing when his sister was raped by his brother. He never intervened when the injustice took place. David just withdrew and would do nothing about Tamar and what brother had Amnon had done to Tamar and just ignored it and Absalom waited for a year and nothing happened he waited two years and nothing happened and so finally after two years of time waiting to see if justice would come to a sister who's become a recluse and won't even leave a house she lives inside never goes outside her life's totally wrecked and and, and he's watching her her life and and the the devastation to it and and he won't Dad's doing nothing to correct the problem. And so finally, after two years of watching and waiting and nothing happening, he took matters into his own hands. He threw a party for the family, invites the family to come, and including Dad, but Dad turned him down. It appears Dad had an idea what might happen. It appears, if you just read it, that Dad was kind of 
uh, had understanding or comprehension that that this was going to wind up in disaster, and so he just decided to not be there. And Absalom gave his servants instructions when Ammon gets here, execute him. And he did. And then he fled. The Bible says that he fled to Geshur, and he fled to the king of Geshur. And if you go check the scripture out carefully, you'll discover that the king of Geshur is his grandpa. So when dad didn't solve a problem and he had to take care of the problem, and it appears David let that happen, and then Solomon flees, where does he go? He's still trying to find family. That tells me every one of these issues is family connected. Every one of them. How'd that happen? He goes and spends two years there and and finally, Joab, seeing that David's going to do nothing and, and that this is just going to go on, and he's watching David grieve because one son's dead, another son's lost. And, and David apparently lived his life through his kids to a point, but yet he didn't know how to connect to them. Why? Well, I, I think it has something to do with the book of 1 Samuel. When Samuel comes to anoint a king, he winds up at Jesse's house, and he says to Jesse, call all your children, because I ain't want to prepare a sacrifice. The men of the city want to know if he came in peace, and he said, yes, I've come in peace. And so Jesse brings his kids in for this special meal and then a sacrifice with the prophet and after the meal is over and Samuel prepares the sacrifice and apparently offered it, he's now ready. He's, he has sanctified them. He's ready to anoint a king. And so he has Jesse line his kids up. And, and he starts looking for the one God has sent him to anoint. And, and he starts with the first one. And God says, no, that's not him. You, you look at the outside. I look at the inside. You're, you're looking at appearance and his heart's not the one I want. And and he goes down that list and eight of them later, he has no king. So he says, Jesse, you got any other kids? Oh yeah, one more. Where is he? Oh, he's in the field. He wasn't important enough to be invited. You know, sometimes the wounds of youth have a way of haunting you all your life. The wounds of life that happen at an early stage can haunt you and they can dog your trail every day of your life until you do something to correct them. As I stated in the beginning on purpose, those memories in many cases have been rearranged. They're not even the way it happened. Their thoughts are beliefs that you have about what you perceive they happen, but you can readjust that memory to fit the way you wanted it to happen instead of the way it actually happened. I'm, I'm discovering working with people that some people enjoy living in their chaos. If they didn't have chaos, they wouldn't have no clue how to live. 
if they didn't have some kind of junk going on, they wouldn't have a clue on what to do with life. So if, if there's no chaos, we've got to create it. We and and so we do whatever necessary to create chaos because we got to have some kind of problem to have a good life. Well, that appears to be David. When I find David going to visit his brother in the next chapter of First Samuel 17, and, and he finds them in battle, and he sees the Philistine, and and Eliab starts attacking him for what are you being, what are you here for, and and he was angry at David. He said, "You're so full of pride, and and the only reason you're here is you just want to see a battle and a war, and 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 there's really no reason for you to be here." Your world's lied to you. Your world says sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. See, that's a lie. Damage in life. David never got past the accusations of life that he just was along to see the party. That he was full of pride and mischief and that's the way he saw himself. And at 70 years of age, he, he still sees himself as, as along for the, the pride and the mischief because he, he never, never conquered any of those issues. And so here he stands with, with, with Absalom angry and he, he hadn't dealt with Absalom and Ithophel and that's his friend and, and, and the, the, 55th Psalm, he, he speaks of, of this friend. He, he says, you know, I, I could have understood it if, if it was someone I didn't know. It was not an enemy. You were my friend. We took sweet counsel. We walked to the house of God together. How could you do this to me? How could this happen? But he doesn't remember that few years before when he was on a rooftop and he was looking out at a city instead of being at war. And he looks across the rooftop and, and, and he sees a, a young lady bathing and, and he lusts for her and sends his guards to get her and, and wrecks her life. And her name's Bathsheba and her dad's name is Eliab and, or Elam and his father's name is Ahithophel. So Ahithophel has been impacted because his granddaughter had her husband murdered by the king. So Ahithophel's is, David's junk is beginning to affect everybody around him. David's junk has bled over in the life of Ahithophel, and Ahithophel has issues with David because of Bathsheba and a, and a grandson-in-law that, that David sent into battle and told the troops to withdraw, and so he's out there on the battlefield along, winds up being killed in war, and, 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 and he's got problems with that. Now, given an opportunity to settle the score, he's settling the score. But David can't understand it. David... Hithophel, why'd you do this to me? David has never recognized any of his responsibility or any kind of fault or blame 
for any of this issue. And it, it gets even deeper than that. Matter of fact, as you read on down, it, it kind of gets a little scary. He says, verse 15, may death destroy them. May they go down alive into hell. What he literally asked God was permission to stand and watch them be cast into hell. Now, that's pretty bad, folks. He had issues. He's letting his own anger and rage and all that junk that's in his life He's letting it affect him and everything about him. And you never got past it. His life's full of bitterness. His life's full of anger. His life's full of rage. But it's everybody else's fault. Now, I, I hope I don't offend you tonight by what I'm about to say. If I do, I'm incredibly sorry, but it's a fact. Most of your problems, you participate in. And we all have some form of responsibility to every issue of our life. Everything that's ever happened to me, I've had some kind of responsibility in it. it it's, but it's difficult for me to accept responsibility and say, you know what? I'm the man. I caused the problem. It's easier to blame everybody else. And the more selfish and self-centered a society becomes, the easier it is to do that. Because of the world you and I live in, that has become the most narcissistic society that's ever lived in history. We now, it, it is so easy in our world to blame everybody else. It's never our fault. It's somebody else's. It, it, it's their environment's fault. It's, it's the way they were raised. And, and there's a little truth to that. However, you don't stay a child all your life. There does come a day when you write the end of part of your life and you can't ever go back there. The day you walk across that stage and they hand you that diploma, you write the end of life. That life is history. If you go back the next day, you've got to go to the office and get a pass. You're not even welcome. It's over. When, when that, that event happens, I am now freed to change everything else about my life. I don't have to be defined or confined to those first 18 years, they may have been miserable. They may have had all kinds of chaos. They may have produced all kinds of problems. But the day I take charge of my life is the day I can rewrite everything about my life. And from that point forward, I can become anything I want to be. You see, I've got a second example I can show you tonight that's the total opposite of the one I'm talking about. Now, that there is a fact that they're on two different sides of the cross. David was before the cross, but Paul was after the cross. And, and if there was anybody who had hang-ups and shortcomings and, and who made mistakes, it was him. But you never find him blaming other people for his problems. Matter of fact, he begins to define it by saying, I am the chiefest of sinners. Nobody can say they've out me. I'm a sinner. 
And because he didn't get allow the hang-ups of whatever that was to affect him. And I, I can prove to you there were all kinds of possibilities for hang-ups in his life. He had issues with eyesight that apparently would scab over to the point that he had to be led around almost blind. He asked God for, to, to please get rid of this incredible disease so that, that this thorn in my flesh so that, that my life can be better and God didn't remove it. And so he said, I, I guess God allowed it to be there so that it would remind me of who I am and all the junk I've done in my life. He discovered a way to change life. He discovered how to make life different. He, he discovered a new way to live. Not be defined by anything other than what you choose. You see, he, he's the man who would say to every one of us tonight that through Christ, I can do all things. You see, when God becomes part of my life, I should never from that day forward be defined by anything other than Christ. But that's not happening in our world. We're being defined by events. We're being defined by, by, by conditions and circumstances and people. And, and we get our identity by whatever has happened instead of what God says about us or how God approves of us. You know, sometimes I, uh, I I think that we as Pentecostals have become the most whiny bunch of people that's ever existed because we can really complain. Unfortunately, I, I, I guess my occupation allows me to see the worst of life, and I have seen bad stuff. I've, I can tell you horrible stories that I, I don't, I just don't understand how people could do those things. I don't know how somebody could take a pencil and poke it in their kids trying to stab them with it because they, they didn't behave. I don't understand how you can set an infant in scalding water and I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can tie kids to poles and beat them with whips. That, that, that's beyond my, I, I don't understand that. that. There's a lot of junk out there. There are very few people who haven't been affected by junk. But I'm here to tell you tonight, junk don't have to define you because you live on a different side of the cross. Now, maybe David didn't live on the right side of the cross, and because he didn't have the ability to have the Holy Ghost help change his life, that, that it kept him hung up, and that's a good possibility. But here's the other gentleman on the other side of the cross, and, and, and he, he looks at life from a totally different viewpoint. He, he never allows circumstances to define him. He said, I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to have it all and have nothing. I've learned how to, how to be in famine, and I've learned how to eat at banquet tables. I've had full. I've had none. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That's our problem. We're not contented with life. We're not contented with what we have. We're always wanting more. We're looking at other people. They've got more than we have, and, and we see what they have. And, and so we start looking at other things instead of just being happy with what we have.
Traveling the world has given me a different perspective of life. I've been in probably 20-something plus countries of the world. Some very nice countries. France, England, Australia. Every place I go, people are talking about how good it is in America and would like to change places with us. Now, we got a lot of junk going on in our, in our country, but ladies and gentlemen, that junk is our responsibility because we just checked out and let it happen. We have nobody to blame for the trash around us because we have kept our mouth shut and haven't stood up for nothing. Oh, don't blame somebody else for the problem when the problem I look at in the mirror every morning. So we haven't learned how to be content. We, we haven't learned how to, to just take whatever life has that day and enjoy it. We're not satisfied with the moment. We're always anticipating the future or tomorrow and, 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 and over the last few days, man, I've heard lots of people talking about their retirement's in trouble and, and they lost and all they're glued to the stock market because going up and down is affecting their retirement. And I'm thinking, you know what? What have we come to? Oh, we got this idea of some utopia. But can I point out that in paradise, Adam had a job? Do you understand that? In paradise, Adam had a job. He was janitor. He had to clean the place up. God said, dress the garden. That means keep it clean. Pick it up. Adam, it's your job to dress the garden. His second job was to guard it. Paradise. All that disappeared, didn't it? Gone, right? Just vanished. We don't even know where it's at. We we can't find the garden. We we can't stake out. We can't find the ruins. We 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 have no clue where that happened, do we? So it just vanished, right? Wrong. Hadn't vanished. There was part of the garden that never died. Got any idea what never died from the garden? Well, think about it in a moment. What didn't die out of that garden? Marriage. And the only hope you will ever have of paradise is marriage. But you better learn how to get along. You better learn how two people who are not alike learn how to make things work and not butt heads and not scream at one another. You, 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 you make chaos or you can learn how to be content. It's, see, here's the problem. We, we live in, in a world that makes it very easy to not be content. We can complain about everything. We can complain, complain about the heat. We can complain about the, the lack of rain. We can complain about anything. We just, we, we, we complain. But I've been places where they were just happy to have a meal. I remember having church in a building built up off the ground, about three foot off the ground. And 
very primitive. Everybody that came to service that night rode on a bicycle because in the entire town of almost a million people, there may have been 30 cars. There were no gas stations. There are no grocery stores. They got their gas by walking across in the India and bringing it back in five-gallon cans, and they sold it on the black market. That's how they bought their petroleum, and that's how they powered their vehicles. Just very little there. But you know what? There wasn't a... When I walked in that service thinking, you know, these people don't have nothing. they got to be sad. They weren't sad at all. Matter of fact, they had church. They had such incredible church that about an hour and a half after worship had started, they were all dancing around the front. Of the, they, they, there was no pews in the first half of that building. I couldn't figure that out until they worship started. Then I understand why. I mean, there was just no pews in the front of that building. And, and, and then they start worshiping, and they got a drum, and that's all they use for this money. And they start singing a song, and somewhere along the way, they all began to sing in tongues. That was the most incredible thing I ever seen in my life. As they worshipped and, and, and danced around the front of that auditorium. And for over an hour they did that until Brother Bly finally stopped them and said, we got to stop, we need to hear some preaching. And, and they all settled down. And Brother Brazel's dad preached to them that night. Incredible. They were content. How contented are we? I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And then at his last few days of life, writing to the church at Philippi, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, you got to remember, he's chained to Nero's trained assassins. There's one on either side. They're handcuffed to him or they're shackled to him. And, and he's in shackles with, with two trained assassins. And, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And, and we can't rejoice unless everything's going okay. And he's chained to death. But you know what? He had a captive audience. When he raised his hands, they had to raise theirs too, whether they wanted to or not. See, it didn't bother him. He just learned to take life for whatever it was and make whatever life gave him that day the best he could have possibly have. And history says that he even records it when he writes that the whole palace knows about me. And according to history, he had converted Nero's wife. All the palace know who I am. Rejoice in the Lord always. What are you chained to? You're going to make it define you? Or are you going to make it determine your life? Or are you going to make your circumstances worship the God you serve? That's what Paul did. It didn't matter what he was chained to, whether he had good days or bad days. He made the good days worship God. He made the bad days worship God. He made the abounding worship God. He made the, the, the lack worship God. He, he just learned wherever he was in life to not be defined by that position or that event. I've learned in whatsoever state I am, there with to be content. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. All things. There's, there's nothing I cannot do. God has equipped me with the ability to change every aspect of my life if I choose. 
Why did I choose to do it? If you want your life changed, change it. There's not a devil big enough to stop you from doing anything you want to do. But you sure do need him to blame when it don't work. And that old man in prison goes on to say, I haven't quite apprehended that which I'm apprehended of. But this one thing I do. What do I do? Forgetting those things which are behind. Pressing. You see, yesterday's memories are probably lies. So why are you going to live in them? If you can redefine them, why don't you just make them good? <laughs> That's what medical science says you have the ability to do. You have the ability to take that memory no matter how bad it is and reconstruct it into something that makes you a better person. Now, think about that for a moment. If that's true, and there's a whole lot of indication it is, if that's true, just how incredible is God? God would make sure that no matter how bad things happen in life, there could come a point in my life where I could just rearrange all of it and make it into the kind of life I wanted it to be. What an incredible God. I have a question tonight to ask you. Will you be defined by which side of the cross? You're going to be defined by David's side of the cross? Or are you going to be defined by Paul's side of the cross? Even though you've been to the cross, you got to, you got to define, you got to decide which side of that cross defines you. See, when Jesus died on that cross, John was the only one there. All the rest had ran. Peter had denied him, blasphemed. He had ran into the night. The other ten had gone. And John was just a young man, maybe 14, 15 years of age. That young teenager went and followed him all the way to the cross. He's the only one of the twelve who had the nerve to stand and watch what happened. And as a result, he witnessed and heard things he could write and tell us about that nobody else saw. And he's the one who would write and say to us that his last words on the cross before death were, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is finished. Concluded. It's over. But that's not what he said. Barclay says the term that John uses to describe his behavior that day came from the Olympids. And it's the term used to describe the actions and behavior of somebody who just won an Olympic event. It's the victor shout of triumph. He didn't say it's over. Jesus shouted, I won! And all of earth celebrated. The graves burst open. The dead in those graves come out of those graves and walk back through the city. The veil in the temple is written trained from top to bottom. He exposed all their hypocrisy and all the junk they had hidden behind the veil that they had nothing there but a ritual and a routine. And he changed life forever. He won. Now you and I have the same ability tonight to win the same battle if we choose. But you got to do the choosing. God's not going to win that battle for you. God's not going to make you different. God's not going to change your life. If you want it changed, then you got to do something to change it. And you got to decide what happens with yesterday. 
It either defines you or you ignore it and forget it. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, pressing towards those things which are before me. I will either allow yesterday to define me or I will forget it and then I can discover where I'm at and where I can go. So you can never get in your future until you leave the past alone, turn around and look and see where it's at. Let us stand.